0: Have you ever wondered what it might be like to manage a municipality that provides its own electric service? I have, but that is not what makes my guest, Jeffrey Stonehill, unique. He has well-honed ideas about municipal management that are traditional and original at the same time. He is a change agent who values hierarchy and structure. I am interested in his methods from an HR perspective, But his managerial style speaks more closely to the tremendous challenges facing the public sector today. That is, how do we stay the course, be reliable, and at the same time turn the ship around to navigate the future? Good afternoon, Jeffrey. It's really great to see you here. Thank you once again for taking some time to have this conversation. And I'm very excited to let more people know that there's some really unique aspects to your approach to managing and Chambersburg in general. So you are the manager in the borough of Chambersburg. And I'm just going to ask you right off the bat to this will give us a little bit of history about you, but in particular, how you developed your philosophy around local government management, and it just maybe what experiences shaped your thinking about that.
1: Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Nancy, and I appreciate the opportunity maybe to share some of my thoughts and ideas with other people, mm-hmm. because obviously being in this profession, one of the most important aspects is sharing, and networking and education is an important part of being a professional manager. In response to your your question, if I can give you a little bit of background on how I came to be in Chambersburg, and because I think that my my career influenced me greatly and maybe helped develop some of the goals and the philosophies that I have as a professional manager. So uh, I was born and raised in New York City, went to both high school and college in Manhattan. So I am a true New Yorker, and I, I loved the urban environment, and I loved city life. And at a very young age, I became interested in cities and city planning and transportation and all things metropolitan. And when I got to New York University, where I did my undergraduate, I studied what they they call metropolitan studies, which is really the study of the city, which was a fascinating experience for a young man and Mm -hmm. led me not in any any particular direction. And in fact, it wasn't until I got to graduate school that I ever heard about the profession of city management because as you can imagine growing up in New York City which is a strong mayor form of government where politics is a contact sport. I had never knew there was such a thing as city managers or the city management profession, but incredibly excited when I came to learn about it and starting off as an intern while in grad school I had the opportunity to work in a number of suburban New York City communities as an administrative assistant and then as an assistant manager. And I really gathered my love of not only the urban landscape where I grew up in the city, but also the the suburban style of community that they have around the big cities. That would be prevalent maybe in Philadelphia or Pittsburgh, or even in places like Lancaster County, where you see that suburban growth and the, the potential for those kind of communities. And I really always saw myself as a professional municipal manager. That was my love. And that was the profession that I chose to do. And I was pleased to get connected with ICMA, the International City County Management Association, first as a student. And I am a credentialed city manager and I'm proud of our profession and the code of ethics that we live by, as well as our commitment to the urban issues of today and the way we can make a positive difference in the lives of people who live in our community. And I think that that came from my childhood and my growing up in New York City. And I think it has influenced me throughout. And I've as I've come to Chambersburg, which you know you might think is the antithesis of New York City, but it's not. It's still an urban environment. I have tried to bring along with me that love and the love of community and the possibility of what a municipal government can do to improve the lives of its citizens as something foundational that municipal managers can bring and can teach to others. So I think that commitment is very much who I am and speaks volumes to some of the exciting and interesting things that we've done here in the borough of Chambersburg.
0: Mm Wow. Yeah, that is, that is quite a background. I'm sure you must get asked often, like, how did you end up in Pennsylvania? But it is a crossroads. It is, would you say, you'd mentioned it, you still think of it as an urban area. And I think you and I, in an earlier conversation, you brought this up that there's a mix of folks there. You have mm. all kinds of people. All kinds I of of people.
1: Think you find that in a lot of places in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is an interesting state. And I've been blessed to be able to travel um, back and forth across the state, as many managers have. And I've gotten to see communities and it is not uh, unusual. Chambersburg is not unusual. We are a small urban pocket in a very rural area. And that's true in a lot of counties you'll find an urban center of a rural county. It's just a very Pennsylvania thing. Our community is obviously more progressive in the center than the conservative nature of the surrounding uh, townships and hinterland. Yeah, um, I think you're going to find that, once again, in a lot of parts of Pennsylvania. But because we're so proximate to each other, and for example, the Chambersburg School District is, is much more than the borough of Chambersburg. It's five municipalities. Uh, so it covers our urban center, it covers the suburban townships next door, and it covers the rural areas out even further than that in so we have interaction with all kinds of people, with all kinds of demographics, and nothing you do is in a vacuum. Very much, I think uh, you have to be savvy, to be in this business and you have to balance all the competing agenda and needs of different various populations and groups. And I think that's part of the art of municipal management is that is trying to ride that balance. Mm -hmm. And it's very true in Chambersburg and it's true throughout Pennsylvania. I think that's something that's exciting about Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. that we have all these different kinds of folks.
0: And I think it speaks you know, volumes about that the challenges of being a professional manager is that you, it's not like a private company you go to and basically that you put a sort of a, a cap on some of your thoughts, you know, don't express them. But when we talk about local government, we're talking about, you know, how people it's their identity and, and who they are and they bring that to their local government conversations. And so as a professional manager, I just, I just have such respect for how you maintain uh, that balance as best you can, because I think there's a lot of places that are finding it really more difficult maybe than ever.
1: Yeah, obviously objectivity is very difficult. We are not like a private company and we cannot operate like a private business. It, it would be impossible because the private business obviously has favors customers over non-customers. we don't and government everybody has should have equal access to government services. It's irrelevant who they are where they're from. And we're not motivated by the profit motive, obviously. We we exist for the betterment of the people who are in our communities and the businesses as well as the citizens. And I think that means that we we will go to great lengths not only for equity and, and fairness, but also to make sure that we are providing services that maybe are not necessarily uh, in the best financial interest of everyone, but are in the best quality of life interest of everybody in our community. And one of the things that I enjoy very much about my community is that we have made a foundational commitment to enterprise funds. In essence, we have decided that it is in the best interest of our residents and businesses that, that we have municipal government operate as many different enterprises as possible for the public good. Mm -hmm. So as the Borough of Chambersburg is one of only 35 municipalities in the state of Pennsylvania that owns and operates its own electric utility. And even though there's only 35 of us, we're the largest of the 35. In fact, we're twice as large as the second largest, which is uh, Ephrata in Lancaster County. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're the largest municipal public power system in the state of Pennsylvania. And we're also the only one that uh, operates multiple generation facilities. So we not only deliver electricity to our homes and businesses, but we make electricity and sell it to the grid. It's an important part of what we do here in Chambersburg. And we made that decision over 100 years ago when we bought our first Thomas Edison built generation Mm -hmm. system and over the generations since the the community and the civic leaders have made a commitment to public power because public power um, is something that can provide economic development as well as equity and quite honestly low rates and efficient service to all of our homes and businesses and that commitment has gone far beyond being the largest public power provider we are also one of only two municipalities in the state of Pennsylvania that own and operate their own natural gas utility. We, op- The borough of Chambersburg has a gas utility as well as an electric utility. And the other one is the city of Philadelphia, which you might have heard of, which obviously is a lot larger than us, but they don't operate an electric utility. And we operate both. We are the only one that operates both a gas utility and electric utility. And I'll let you in on a secret, Uh, it's not really much of a secret, who sells the gas to the power plants that makes the electricity. It's the gas utility. So it makes a lot of sense for us to be both a gas utility and an electric utility and to be in both of those enterprises. But it goes far beyond that. We own our own regional sewer utility, our own regional water utility, not under an authority or separate board, but actually the borough itself runs those systems with borough employees and borough council making all the decisions for those systems and their regional systems. We do our own sanitation. We do our own recycling. We have our, a parking utility. We have a new storm sewer utility, which was formed under the federal mandate for uh, municipalities to uh, control their storm sewer systems. We have a utility that does that. charges, storm sewer utility fees, and has uh, employees that manage the storm sewer system. And then we have things on the side, like we built a a world class aquatic center, a water park, and we operate that as a business. And the reason we are committed to those different enterprises is because we're committed to the goals of those enterprises. It's not about money for us. It's about providing services to our citizens and businesses and doing it in a fair and equitable way and at the least cost possible. Because obviously everything is not for profit here because we're a municipality and we're not concerned with the profit. With it comes to electric utilities or water, private water utilities, like you mentioned, there's a number of them in Pennsylvania. Obviously they're for-profit companies and they have to have a profit motive, but we've made a decision. That's not actually the best way to serve the citizens and businesses in Chambersburg. We think the best way is for the municipal government to take on those kind of responsibilities. And that is a very unique stance and it's something that I'm proud of that the borough has done now for generations. Mm-hmm. And and borough managers before me have been committed to those goals as well. It does strike me that there is this
0: institutional knowledge. That it, over time, I would imagine in your role, you're very concerned with continuity just because there are so many different areas of business.
1: So it's, too, it's twofold. I'm blessed that I'm only the third borough manager in the history of Chambersburg. My two predecessors were the first two ever. So there's only been three of us. And that goes back to my predecessor, who is Eric Oyer. And then before Eric Oyer was Julio Laquana, was the first borough manager, and he was appointed borough manager in 1965.
0: Wow. So there has
1: been continuity in the management of the community. I am both borough manager and director of utilities because utilities are such an important part of what we do here in Chambersburg. So I hold, I wear both of those hats. But yes, obviously, it's both uh, continuity of services as well as developing the personnel and the institutional knowledge to carry these systems on. It's much more complicated in a municipality like Chambersburg, where we've made the commitment to all of these services, to have um, people in our organization, throughout the organization, at different levels. We have almost 300 employees in Chambersburg, because we are making sure all of these utilities are being produced and managed correctly, and we need to have plans for the future. And of course, people retire. And you can imagine it's a complicated responsibility that we've taken on, but w- the community has made that commitment. And we can point to specific things. For example, the our, the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on our community was definitely lessened by the ability of the borough to reach into the utilities and help people manage through the crisis mm-hmm. in a way that other municipalities did not have those tools to bring to bear. And of course, that's a, a recent example, but there are other things that we do every single day that can help the citizens and businesses with an array of challenges and problems that are both financial as well as organizational and we think that makes part of the reason that our community is so successful. It is yeah. successful in terms of the quality of life, but it's also financially successful. We're one of the fastest growing communities in the state mm-hmm. of Pennsylvania. And the utilities, we think, are a part of that.
0: Yeah. You used the word successful, and what comes to my mind is stable.
1: So I think what's important here in Chambersburg is we have a large borough council. We actually have a 10-person borough council, which is a large group. It's also an even number. So it's a little bit unusual. We have five wards with with two um, elected members of council from each ward. So that gives you 10 members of council. And of course, only half of them are up in any given election. They they alternate. They're on four-year terms. So every two years, half are up and the other half aren't. There, there are, have been significant turnovers in the actual membership of council. They come and go as they would in any municipality. But with such a large body, the ebb and flow of poli- political issues, which does touch them, rarely impacts the fundamental borough government procedure. There's also a tremendous, and I'm blessed with this, is a tremendous amount of respect for myself as well as the professional staff. We have a very large. Uh, and well-trained, well-credentialed staff here in in the borough. And I think our elected officials respect their institutional knowledge as well as their ability to deliver services to the community. So while council people come and go and their politics has changed over time, some of their priorities change with their politics, and and that is true. I think, number one, we try to be nimble enough that whatever policy directions our council wants to go, we can help them develop priorities that go in the direction. We, As I always joke, we can turn this ship in any particular direction that the majority of council wants to go. It's large. It doesn't turn fast, but we can get this organization going any which way, and we respect the authority of the elected officials to make those priorities. In fact, we challenge them to make those priorities. Tell us what it is that you think is important. What are the things that you want us to concentrate our resources on to make this a successful community. And that has changed over time. Sometimes it's parks and sometimes it's streets and sometimes it's police and sometimes it's economic development. And those priorities change and we can adapt our organization as those priorities change, but we try to adapt them in ways that can accomplish the goals of whatever council wants to accomplish. So we don't just We don't leave them uh, rudderless floating around. We actually say, okay, let's develop some goals, whatever your priorities are, and let's make sure that the borough of Chambersburg is moving in that particular direction so that you're satisfied that your input is being heard. And the role that they play is to set that policy direction. And we respect that, and we respect the electorate to send people to work on council in ways that get things accomplished that the community thinks is important. And of course, that can change from time to time. So I think we have a pretty good, I think we have a pretty good system here. And I think that helps us adapt to whatever the political wind is, because that's going to blow different directions at different times. And that's just the way local government is, you know? Yeah.
0: I think this leads is a good lead into the next area that I, one of the reasons I wanted to reach out to you is, is that I think in terms of developing management teams, I've got to imagine uh, that also is related to continuity. And so when you talk about we, I think you mean as a team, and I'd like to know if you could just give us a peek inside your sort of management team strategy. And And again, how do you get people to come there to work with you? There must be some some aspect of being able to get people that are really
1: high caliber. Doesn't everybody want to work for the borough of Chambersburg? It's the most exciting local government in Pennsylvania. Maybe
0: after this interview, <laughs> that will
1: happen. <laughs> That's the way I feel, at least. So, I, you know, obviously, we, as I said, we have a lot of employees and we have a lot of departments in functional areas. So we have a very large team and I'm very blessed to have a tremendous number of competent, qualified personnel who work for me. We are very hierarchical, and I think that's interesting because in modern organizational theory, and you, if you w- read the literature that's out, hierarchical organizations are passe. And I we talk about that, and we wonder sometimes whether our structure is passe, but it, it continues to function very well for us, and I think that's because we have very... A very strong top-down organizational theory. I am, in essence, the CEO of a, of a major corporation, and that's really how this organization runs. And just like uh, any corporation, whether it be Hershey Foods or Texaco or whoever, the CEO obviously has a tremendous amount of authority as well as responsibility. And I look at my position very much the way a CEO would look at that their role in a major corporation. But I have I have assistants and deputies. First of all, so I'm not the only person with management authority in the organization, because obviously I would not have the opportunity ever to take a day off. It was entirely on my shoulders. Exactly. I need to have other people who can back me up. And we all wear many hats in our hierarchical organization. So for example, I have a deputy borough manager. His name is Phil Walgamuth. And in addition to being my deputy, Phil is also the head of the Land Use and Community Um, Development Department, which does codes and planning and it does our retail food inspection program because we do license and inspect all the retail food operations in the Borough of Chambersburg our residential rental permitting program, because we do license and inspect all residential apartment units in the Borough of Chambersburg. You can see the way we run everything here in the Borough of Chambersburg. In fact, it's unusual if there isn't a service that we provide. And we say, actually, that's done by the county here. that's done by the state. People look at us strangely because we do so much here on the local level. But Phil, so Phil is wearing both of those hats just the same way that I'm the borough manager and I'm the director of utilities. Phil is both the deputy borough manager and he's running the what we call the LUCOMDEV or Land Use and Community Economic Development Office. And he's running that program and he has 20 some odd employees who report directly to him in those units. And then I have an assistant manager, Mr. Dave Finch, and Dave has been with the borough for 27 years. And Dave is not only the assistant borough manager, he wears that hat, but he also is the public works director. And he's running the highway department and the sanitation department and the central garage and and those functions. And that's very much the way we are here in that our, our managers have multiple areas of concentration. The way you might have a VP in a corporation also be in charge of finance. So it might be the VP and VP of finance. We have that same corporate structure here. But each one of our departments had, so we have this all these layers of management. We have what we call superintendents to run a department. So for example, the gas utility has a gas superintendent, and then there's an assistant gas superintendent, and then there's a gas supervisor. And the supervisor is, is management also, but they're the foreman who runs the crew in the street. So if you think about it, we're talking about multiple layers of management and responsibility. And from time to time, folks have left us. They've retired or they've moved on. And so we have a system where we can bring in people either up through the organization or even from the outside and plug them into these roles. that are very well de- defined or we take great responsibility back for our job descriptions, which I know is something that you've worked in the community on. You've got a
0: new manager, I think, in the last couple years.
1: Yes, we have a new personnel supervisor who is doing a terrific job. She joined us. Uh, Melinda Thompson came to us from Cumberland County Personnel Office, and she's terrific. But we are very proud of job descriptions, and I wholeheartedly support. Strong job descriptions are an important part of keeping your organization organized. And those job descriptions, along with what we call our pay plan. So Chambersburg is unique. We're very much like the federal government in that we have pay grades and steps, not just for our unionized employees, but for everybody in the organization. Just if you went to work for the federal government, you might be a G8. They have those classifications in the federal government. We have equal and similar classifications. Everybody in Chambersburg is classified in some Grade and then step is uh, longevity within that grade. Even the borough manager is graded, and I have my grade. Of course, my grade is higher than the other grades, but I am in a grade, and uh, my job description fits in that grade. And being that organized, not only in our uh, organizational chart, our hierarchy, but also in our roles as well as our compensation, I think helps such a large organization be nimble. And that we're not dealing with things that come and go. We, we don't talk about you know what the role of a person is because it's all extremely well-defined de- uh, mm-hmm. in the machine and the machine keeps humming along. And that's reflective of the way I like to operate. Yeah,
0: that's quite a style. And I have a couple of follow-up questions on that. I have always felt that order and predictability was understood. And the more you look at process, the more you realize process is important for redundancy. And, and so there is a clear link between well-defined jobs and some of that, which I think harkens back to our earlier discussion in terms of making sure that the system works going forward, even if there's changes at the top. Mm -hmm. However, flexibility, is there, do you have a way of ferreting out inefficiency, which can also creep up in well-defined hierarchies sometimes? Maybe you have a way to, to review that. So flexibility was one question and also attracting young people, young professionals that maybe say, what's this? I'm a superstar, Jeffrey.
1: Yes, you can. And I'm, think- I'm very casual in the office. <laughs> I think I belong up here yourself. in this chart. <laughs> so so two things. So first on on flexibility, we manage by teams. So I said we're hierarchical oh. in, that, in that everybody's in a defined position in the hierarchy. But the way it, it's like a strike team a mentality. So if there's an issue or a problem arises, what the borough manager does is he assigns a group. To attack that problem. And that group is usually a group across section, both in terms of their discipline. So it's an interdisciplinary group,
0: Love as that. well as
1: their different levels in the organization, because they're going to bring different perspectives. So I'm going to make up a hypothetical problem that we don't actually have, but let's say we decide we need a new phone system. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a team people who are going to go after that problem and investigate that problem, try to get do a feasibility analysis and come back to me with multiple recommendations. And that strike team is going to be made up of people who are both you know assistants, probably going to be one of the assistants or the deputy. It's going to be department heads. It's going to be assistant department heads. It's going to be supervisors. And it's even going to be employees who are actually in the field dealing with the issues. And so I'm going to create that team. Of course, the different problems at different size teams. I'm going to say who's in charge of that team. And then I'm going to send them off with an assignment and then a timetable to come back to me. So while we are incredibly hierarchical, that strike team uh, management process gets that group. And then they'll start meeting recently, virtually, because that's how we do meetings. But they're going to attack that problem. And they're going to have to come back to me with the ability to explain to me different issues, different challenges, do a SWOT analysis, in essence, to tell me what are the opportunities and what are going to be the challenges. And here's where a kicker is. I said we have a very large group of elected officials. Very often, we will have an elected official be on that strike team. We'll actually have a member of council. Now, it might be somebody who's directly associated with that subject. So we have a one of the people in council is called a personnel liaison, They're assigned by them. They pick which one is their personnel liaison. The personnel liaison would would be on the team dealing with a personnel issue. We have a finance liaison. Anything to do with the finance department or any financial issue, one of the council people would be on that team. Even though they're just one of 10, they become the liaison to council as part of that strike team. It could be the council president or the council vice president. Or it could just be we ask for a person. When we had, when we were developing our plan to create a storm sewer utility, we actually asked for them, for council, to give us one of their own, who could be the point person on behalf of council to join the strike team to develop the plan for a storm sewer utility. And so we we're actually involving the elected officials on the team with the employees to come up with these ideas, these opportunities, and these challenges and then to present it to me. And then eventually, of course, things become consulting agreements or they become ordinances or they become resolutions with policy direction. And they're going to go back to council for eventual decision-making. Because as we all know, I might be in charge of the administration of the world, but I am not in charge of making those eventual decisions. Council's going to make those hard decisions in the end. Our job is to give them the choices so that they can in an informed way, make a decision. Say, you can do this, or you can do that. This would be the impact. And I spend a lot of my time communicating with the elected officials how I've gotten to my choice recommendation and what the other options are. They don't always do what I say. Hard to believe, but I respect them and that they're independent and they can make decisions and they can pick options that they think, as the elected representatives, or what's best for the borough of chambers. They're not going to go off the rails and come up to me and say, you know, what we've decided is we're not going to have a phone system. That would be nuts. What they are going to want to hear from me is that we have evaluated all the various options and possibilities. And there is a reason why we are recommending they go in this particular direction. This is what it's going to cost. This is how it's going. The implementation is going to work. And we're going to seek their support to make that decision. So that's how, and we do that. And there's obviously a lot of those balls in the air at any one time, things that we're working on, projects that we're moving forward, some of them go fast, some go incredibly slow, but that's okay, because the wheels of government move slowly. And sometimes we just have to, or keep it. So we're very organized, not only in our roles, but I think that keeps us nimble. Now, your second question, which is a young person, we obviously, like many local governments, we have not done a good enough job uh, reaching out to today's youth to consider careers in municipal government as a possibility. I don't think that I would be proud of the work that Chambersburg has done. I am, however, proud of the commitment that we have made to do better at that, to do better at encouraging the next generation of municipal worker And um, also to make sure that the next generation of municipal worker reflects the socioeconomics of the community that we serve, which I think is very important. Mm -hmm. And to that end, I am blessed that my council allowed me to hire um, an in-house recruiter who is in my part of my personnel department, who deals with both recruitment and retention and development of talent for uh, the borough. You could imagine, we're talking about a tremendous amount of talent, different positions, some of them very narrow. And uh, we cannot wait till those openings arise to have people to plug into those systems. In fact, we need to keep going younger and reach out more and more until community outreach is part of this so that we can reach kids, college, yes, but high school and even middle school and say, have you ever considered that someday you can be doing GIS digital mapping for your local municipality, or you could be an electrician working on traffic signals and traffic signal cameras in our community, and all these other, which I have to say, some of them are pretty cool jobs. And while they won't appeal to everybody, I guarantee in my community, there are kids who would love to grow up and do those jobs they don't even know they exist they don't know they
0: exist that's right they don't know,
1: and we need to do a better job yeah, yeah, going yeah. out there and telling today's youth who will be tomorrow's municipal worker about these opportunities so that they are doing what is necessary the schools yes we need to deal with guidance counselors and teachers but even beyond that we need to deal with parents and with kids and educate them about what the opportunities I have 300 employees, all of which eventually will leave the borough of Chambersburg in the not too distant future. I need to replace all of those employees. Hopefully they'll all retire with nice retirement packages, yeah. but they will all leave us. And I need to replace all of them with well trained, capable young people. And that means bringing people in today, whether that be, we have a police academy, a citizens police academy program. We yeah. have We have summer camp programs that focus on some of the cool things that we do here in the borough, and we want to do more. Like I said, I'm not uh, holding ourselves out as a shining example. The only thing that we are an example of is we are committed to reaching the youth, educating them, and trying to spark some interest in growing into our jobs. Mm -hmm. And we need to do a better job at that. That is our responsibility, and we are committed to doing that. And that is really what I think is the next-gen strategy.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: You know, and so communities need to do that either together. We're a small town; it might not be them, but maybe it's a regional, maybe it's a maybe it's a regional group, maybe it's a state association. But we need to go out and inform people because those children and their parents are important to being. It's like they say for the military; the U.S. military does a great job of reaching out to parents and students, saying, "Have you considered this as your future?" That's really what the municipal governments need to do. Also, we need to reach those kids and say, have you ever considered this? I guess most of them haven't.
0: Yeah, that'd be quite a campaign. I I am just going back to your team structure, your strike team. First of all, I think that's so brilliant for growing employees. Maybe it doesn't get to the ones coming in, but eventually if you're new in an organization and you put somebody young on a strike team and now they're Mm -hmm. getting exposure, that's amazing. And I'm assuming these are ad hoc. So they dissolve right. after its timeframe. So you've got all these configurations from the inside that this is brilliant. I, I think this, this is that nice balance between the, the predictability and structure that you need for your government at the same time, being able to get right at something. So you're not a fan of standing committees. You probably don't have like a standing management team committee.
1: Correct. We are not a fan of stand, both on the count side, as well as on the, the, the borough management side, we do not. Now, I have what you might call a, we, we call it department heads meeting, which really department heads and assistants. And we do gather and talk on a regular basis. That might be the cabinet. A lot of communities talk about cabinet meetings. So I am meeting with my most senior employees on a regular basis, just, and really that's just for communication. That doesn't have a, another goal, but just in such a large organization, I could go Weeks without seeing some employees, and so we need to make sure that we have healthy lines of communication just so that we're keeping that rapport and it's not just email. And so, and, we, and I have to tell you, that department heads meeting structure has really suffered during COVID because it's not the same on Zoom. Mm-hmm. I love Zoom and I think the technology is cool, but sitting in a room and, and meeting with my department heads and talking about issues and ideas that really is something that works much better.
0: Next topic I have on our list of the, the budget process, because I wonder if there's an influence, like the fact that, that you use this sort of strong hierarchical structure, I know that people might think that equates with bloated budget, be really built out, but I'm guessing that's not the case. And I know that because I know you are very effective in this area. So is there something in the budget process that you can say it fits well with your philosophy? If you could articulate it to me just to convey the idea that you
1: look for the budget to be understood. Is that a fair statement? That is definitely a fair statement. And and, in fact, what I've done with our budget has moved away from what a term that I think most municipal managers would recognize. We do not do a line item budget. And that is not the basis of our budgetary discussion. Obviously, we have a line item budget. You know, we have uh, over 9,000 line items in 14 different funds in our budget. Overwhelming as it would be to try to read those Excel spreadsheets. And by the way, I know them backwards and forwards. But it would be a near impossible task to sit in a council meeting and go through each one of these different 14 funds. Mm. And the other thing that makes it almost impossible in Chambersburg is we use use cost-based accounting as our management style. Cost-based accounting means that everything is charged to the cost center for which it is being used, which means that people and materials and equipment are being cross-billed just like you would in a, for example, a doctor's office or a law firm to hundreds of different things within the budget. And those transactions, those internal transactions are happening every single day. And so for example, the, the borough manager is a perfect example. The We don't have a borough manager line item in our budget. The borough manager is working on a million different things. And the borough manager's time, as well as all the expenses related to the borough manager, are divided so many different ways that you can't find the borough manager just by looking at line item number 76 in our budget. And so it would be impossible to get a sense of our budget by looking at the line item budget because you would be lost in it. Anyone would be. So what we have developed is a narrative budget style. Because we very much respect that council's authority to set the policy and direction of the municipality very much includes setting the financial policy and direction of the the municipality. The, The budget is probably the most important policy document that council adopts every single year because it is the recipe for the following year's cake. And we can't bake the cake unless they give us the recipe. So first, it is um, pursuant to local law, it is the borough manager's responsibility to present to council each year a balanced budget in a form that can be adopted with no changes. Mm -hmm. So I give to them a fully developed cake recipe when I present my budget. That does not mean they're not going to change the recipe. They can and they should. But I will give them a recipe that would work and make a cake if they don't want to change it. Mm-hmm. To get to the point where I deliver my budget and my budget, by the way, is available on the Borough of Chambersburg website, the entire budget document. What I give them is a loose leaf, which has a narrative for each department of the borough and each fund of the borough that discusses revenues and expenditures for that those funds in a narrative format and gives them opportunity to change both revenues and expenditures if they want, if they desire to move in different directions. Mm -hmm. So what I'm giving them is an opportunity to actually effectuate the change in the borough's policy without saying how many widgets are in line item number 70, because that's not going to effectuate the the outcome. What's going to effectuate the outcome is when they say, what we need is to develop whatever the goal is, we want to do a better job paving streets, or we want to do a better job providing parks and recreation, or we want a whole new program that we've never had before where we help something in the community. And we will then find ways in the budget, not so much in the numbers, but to present to them the opportunities to move in that particular direction. Mm -hmm. So my department head, starting in July of every year, because our fiscal year is the same as the calendar year they start in july until i present the first in the first week of november my cake recipe my adoptable budget so from july through the end of october in essence they are every time we have a council meeting i have a series of department heads who come and they do a powerpoint presentation and they say this is what we're doing this year this is what we'd like to do next year these are our goals This is how it's going to affect our revenues. Mm -hmm. So the water department might say, we need a rate increase. This is why we're proposing a rate increase. They know they can't do a rate increase, right? They need to propose it. We want to hire more personnel. We want to buy more equipment. We want to change the way we do something. Every single department, police, fire, parks and rec, water, sewer, electric, gas, storm sewer, they're all coming to a meeting. They're doing their presentation. They're making their pitch giving an update on what we're doing now our pitch on next year it's all very narrative it's not they'll give a the little numbers the high level numeric explanation and then they'll say this is what we want to do next year this is what I'm proposing and what they say is what this is not what I'm proposing to you council this is what I'm proposing to Jeffrey this is what I'm proposing to the borough manager because they realize the next step is I'm going to deliver my cake recipe my budget and they might not make it into my cake recipe. They might say, we want a one cent increase in the water rate. Well, when my budget comes out in the first week of November, it's not sure they're gonna get their one cent in my budget because I'm gonna work to present to council a plan that I think reflects what council wants. And then council gets at it and they have the month of November in essence to take mine, have hearings, which they do, receive comments and ask questions and they make changes their changes are going to be incremental because by the time we got there, we already had all these presentations by all the departments where they talked about what they wanted and I was paying attention. And when council said, yeah, we don't really think that we need to do that. I was was writing that down. Okay, that's not going to make the cut. So by the time my budget comes out, Hopefully I'm getting it and I know what council wants, but then they're able to make a few more changes and we still get the thing approved in December so that by December 31st, which is the statutory requirement, we have an approved balanced budget and a tax ordinance, and we've readopted our master fee schedule with all of our fees and charges in it. Mm -hmm. Everything is reflective of the policy of the borough and we're ready for the next year. Mm
0: -hmm. So it's a
1: process, but it's a very important process that both staff and council do together. Mm-hmm. So
0: if there is on the part of either staff coming to you saying, we need this, we, I don't know, probably like a capital improvements or some big project. So
1: capital improvements are a world unto themselves. We do a five-year capital improvement plan that is produced as part of the budget process. And the, the capital improvement plan, unlike the budget, it has a lot of wish lists to it. Mm-hmm. Things that maybe are necessary or that we desire, which may or may not ever happen because they make it to the capital improvement plan, but then the next step is to make it from the plan into the budget. Mm -hmm. So we do plan, and when it comes to those kind of major capital improvements, we have challenged the departments. They can't just say, what do I wanna do next year? They have to be thinking five years out because that's it takes a long time to even try to make those things happen. So if you have a major project, you wanna build a building, for example, one of the departments needs a new building for something, That's very rarely is that just going to pop up and appear and then be funded and be, and that's going to take years. That's another process that you're working on. Another process. It'll happen. And eventually those things will start coming into the real, uh, into the real budget. We are planning on building or actually renovating our police station. We have been working on the police station renovation project now. It's got to be 10 years that we've been working on the project. And that project is very incremental. And first it was a needs analysis to determine, do we need to renovate or should we relocate or replace it? What's the future of policing operations gonna be? And then it went to, okay, we're gonna hire an architect engineer to evaluate different locations in different scenarios. And then it went, okay, we've, we're gonna make a decision. What are we gonna do? We're gonna take the existing police station we're gonna renovate it. So then we hired a, the engineer to do a conceptual design. And then we uh, we, displayed the conceptual design and we got feedback from the community and the council. And then we said, okay, that's the design we like that we're going to go with that. And then we went to actually doing the final design where we do bid specs and blueprints, and then you bid it out. And that's where we are now. And we're going to bid that out this summer. And the plan is for construction next year on the police station renovation project. And we have to sell a bond to pay for it. And so the question is gonna be in the 2022 budget, which is coming, council's got to approve the bond. And more importantly, they got to approve a dedicated real estate tax to pay off the police station. Mm -hmm. But that's coming. They've known that's coming for years and years and they knew that day was gonna come where they were gonna have to vote. Am I for the bond? Am I for the tax associated with the bond? And otherwise I'm not for the project. And that was gonna come to a head at some point and there's gonna be a vote. And i we all know now that's gonna happen contemporaneous with the adoption of the 2022 budget, but that's not coming out of nowhere. In fact, you could say they're tired of talking about the police station because we've had so many meetings and so many projects, but we're ready to go now. The next step is fund it, build it. And wow. so um, that's coming, but these this is why I say the wheels of government move slowly. You don't just build a new police station. It takes years to get to that process and there's value in that because at the same time you're considering your options and your costs and your scenarios we went out we got a tremendous grant from the commonwealth to help pay for it that's great that took time to do that and we got the community's input and involvement in the development process So the community is not going to be shocked or surprised. They might not support all of them. You can't please everyone, whichever way the council goes. And of course, if I was a betting person, I'd say they're going to build something next year. I think that the community will have heard about it maybe for years. Ready for it, and whether even if they disagree, they know it's coming because shock and surprise is never a good thing in government. Go ahead. So at least they're going to be on to go, Oh, there's the police station that they said they were going to do. And look on my tax bill, there's the police station tax that I wish they didn't do, but at least I knew it was coming. And <laughs> it was here coming. I think
0: the bottom line, too, here is that the communication is the biggest. Part of the budget process, so you've got you've got the brains behind the scenes that it can can put this recipe together, but there, there's a certain percentage of cake that is PR and messaging. It looks you know like you have
1: to not it's not a selling process. I, I think no, it it's informing. Be, it's information. Yeah, you need to be able to inform the elected officials. You need to inform your community. You need to be out there. We spend time and we spend money. And we're blessed that we have the resources to do
0: that. Going back to the advisory committee, and this gets into our sort of final area about the civic engagement. So if you've got an advisory committee that's already been talking about bike lanes or something else going on, by the time it comes up to the council or has been gone back and forth, there's already an element in the community that's been talking about it. So you're probably going to have some supporters lined up. It wouldn't have gotten it that far
1: they've gotten their ideas to the point where we're actually developing uh, projects in a budget. And yeah, it's gone through many iterations of discussion publicly. They probably made it into our annual report, which is a nice glossy document, which is sent to all of the citizens of the borough and ratepayers. So there was probably an article about bike and pedestrian improvements. There's probably information on our website. There are probably news articles. That were uh, gently uh, massaged out of the local media <clears throat> to make sure that there is a a dedication to informing people. Like I said, they're not all going to agree on everything. You're going right. to have people, no matter what the issue is, you're going to have people saying, "Don't spend resources on bike lanes. Don't spend resources on police stations. Don't spend. Don't always have- going to be there. Always, always going to be there. But what we well, what you need isn't. A universal agreement. What you need is a process which respects different opinions, different voices, is actually a transparent, involves the community, involves their elected representatives, which is the real role of council is they need to go out there and talk to their constituents and try to download the feelings that they represent. And then there'll be decisions that are made
0: yeah. And then we,
1: we staff, will do our level-headed best to implement them in the most cost-effective and in the smartest way. Not that we're incapable of making mistakes, but that's our goal. It's like I said, we're pragmatic. You say bike lanes, we're going to give you good bike lanes. You say police station, we're going to give you a good police station. But if you say don't do it, then we're not going to do it. That's the way we follow the lead of the community and their elected representatives.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think they, so we were talking about civic engagement, but I would say it's participation. So participation in local government, what does that look like? And uh, I think it is being able to weigh in and I'm sure it's a nuanced thing because I know you go to local government presentations by engineers and developers, and you're just talking, then you get a question and answer period. But I I think it is a, it means a lot what's happened before that meeting, (laughs) that there's people coming in that have some understanding of what has gone into that process of planning for, you know, whatever it is, it's a big project. I really uh, respect, you know, what it is that as a borough, I think you have, there's so many aspects of community. You get into township governments, oftentimes they like, we don't want change. But oftentimes, I think the borough governments, there is a sense of, it's where all the activity is. It's Things are always going to be happening there. It's
1: a- My community is obviously, and has been now for generations, a community that is always building, always changing. In fact... If, we, if they hadn't changed the state law, I think we would have been expanding our borders, and we regularly did until the law changed in 1967. We annexed township land a dozen times before 1967. We were always looking forward, and of course, the laws in Pennsylvania put an end, or the court decisions first, and then eventually the laws put an end to annexation in our commonwealth. But I think as much as I work for a community that is pro-development or pro-change, if if I didn't, if my council were the opposite, I think that the system that I've developed could work in that environment as well. Absolutely. Because it's really just about being responsive. It's yes, we're doing a million things to move forward, but if the goal, and I've worked for communities, I worked for a community that was, I won't call it anti-development, but was development skeptical when I was in New York. And I think The idea is as long as you're, and and there's a way to do that as well. There's a way to protect property values and to ensure that your zoning and your development procedures have to be fair, have to be equitable, but don't necessarily have to be generous and encouraging Mm -hmm. and that you can make Sure, that when development does happen in your community, that they're fairly paying for the impact of that development. And that would be true in a lot of townships. And so I don't think any of that's a problem. I just think it's a philosophical thing. That's policy. That comes from the elected officials. It comes from the grassroots to the elected officials. And staff can adapt whatever the organization is to those goals as well, as long as it's fair and equitable, because that's important. And we can do those things as well, if that's the impetus of the policy. I just happen to be working for a community that is pro-development and pro-change, entrepreneurial and always has been. We're looking for the next huge idea that we can take on. And so I'm very proud of my community and that they want to move forward and that they're willing to move the community forward. But that's just, that's the community's attitude That's not Jeffrey Stonehill's, actually. I I respond to them.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if you could just describe an example of a civic engagement event. Is it my, I I, I naturally just look at, Think about a big room with a lot of round tables or something, but it maybe it's something else. What is No, that I mean, important? I think there's,
1: there's that we do those traditional, like for example, we're doing a, a comprehensive plan update right now, which, you know, communities do every 10 years or so. And a lot of that is there's a steering committee made up of a very diversified group, different socioeconomic uh, classes different parts of the community business leaders uh, faith leaders so that's a very large group and they are doing a lot of that sit around the table and make lists and hang stickies on the board kind of stuff which is an important part of civic engagement we do what i think the, that there's a place for that but i think what you need to do in addition to that or otherwise is you need to involve people in that process you can't always have the same 6 or 10 people and i realize That is very difficult. We live in an era where people do not have the time or the ability to volunteer, to participate in things. And so I am quite aware of the limitations it is on getting people in the community. And even in Chambersburg, where we probably have this great pool of volunteers, much larger than many other communities, even we tend to have a little bit of the same facetism that you have. But I think- the key is that with our process and with our both our press releases and our articles and, and our website, and when people challenge what the borough is working on, we welcome that. What we, what we try to do is we try to co-opt them, and of course they don't realize that. The the best thing we have is when someone complains, because our when someone complains, they care, they're passionate. Now they might not be well informed about what they're complaining about, but they care. And so next step for anybody who complains is you got to get involved. And we have ways you can get involved. And no matter how loud a complainer you might be, we want you. We want you involved because we always believe that the chorus of voices is going to lend you to narrow your complaint. Maybe not abandon your complaint, but narrow your complaint and focus on pragmatic things that your complaint can change. So if you said to me, if you came to me and you said, I have no interest in a police station, I don't think this borough needs to spend a penny on upgrading the police station, which was built in 1971. It's 2021. It hasn't been changed since 1971. i give you a hint. It really does need to be upgraded. <laughs> but if you disagree with me, I'm not going to send you packing. I'm going to try to involve you in that project. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to invite you to the meetings where we talk about those things. I'm actually going to introduce you at the meeting so you can get up and you can talk about the things. I'm actually going to give you to our police chief, who's amazing by the way, and he's going to walk you through that police station. He's going to show you all the problems in that police station. You you might still think we shouldn't be spending money on police station, but you're going to know so much more. We're going to engage you hard so that even if you want that opinion, that's great. You're going to be informed and you're still welcome to get up in front of council and say, don't do it. Don't spend the money. That's fine. But you're not going to do that without knowing a lot and getting civic engagement. And to us, that kind of aggressiveness is important because we want people on different sides of the issue. And I want counsel to hear from the people who are not for the police station as much as for the police station because they have to make the decision. And it would be, I would not, I'd be doing them a disservice if they made that decision in a vacuum and they didn't hear all sides.
0: You can't, yeah, you, you don't want to spend a lot of energy suppressing uh, the naysayers only to have them come out of the woodwork in the final hour. Engage them. Engage yeah, engage them. And get them involved. Yeah, it's an attitude. And I, and I like the idea that complaints are data points that you can work with. <laughs> you know, it's the qualitative data that we really do
1: crave. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Some people are teachable and some people are But you know what? <laughs> We're still going to do that the best we can. Yeah, sure. So.
0: I, I guess there was the, we didn't talk about the compensation piece. I feel like we maybe need to, to wrap this up. I, we might have to come back to that because I, I really do like this. The, the question was around making pay really a, a priority in the budget process. And you've always had very competitive pay rates at the borough from but, what I can tell from the pay surveys.
1: And we don't do, but we don't talk about pay because what we do is we have the pay plan. So we have, we have. Just like the federal government, we have a Chambersburg pay plan, and we have our grades and our steps. And what we talk about with council isn't compensation for this job or that job, because we never do have that conversation. What we talk about is cost of living increases, which would move the pay for everybody equally up, because it's a scale. And I know that a lot of municipalities have this kind of plan for their unionized workforce. I think what makes this unusual is that we have this for our non-unionized workforce as well. So everybody is, as I said, everybody is in a box. And every box is based on their job description. And we don't talk about the boxes ever. We don't talk about anything. What we talk about is cost of living increases. And council has unilateral right for non-bargaining and. employees, you know, such as management and clerical and technical employees. They obviously have to negotiate with unionized employees. So we have the police union, we have paid professional firefighters, so we have a fire union, and we have AFSCME, which represents our blue-collar workers. So there's three unions, and they have to negotiate those pay rates with those unions, but we're not talking jobs. We never have a job or a person-specific discussion. We have a scale, and the question is, do you want to change the scale? Do you want to move the scale up with a COLA, a cost of living increase? And council has been, they've had those debates, but they're not talking about Joe's compensation or Joe's job performance. Right. What they are talking about is COLA. And if they raise the COLA, Joe's gonna get a COLA increase, but Joe's compensation is because of the box that Joe's job is in. Mm -hmm. And he has no choice unless, if Joe doesn't like the boxes in, Joe's going to have to go to a different box because the box is by the job. It's not by the person. And so that's a very, in some ways, that's a very old fashioned or like hierarchical government. That is a very limiting. It has pros and cons. I have a hard time recruiting people because I cannot negotiate with people there is no negotiation i was going to ask that for
0: you what if if you what if somebody a director comes to you and says we're going to lose our valuable employee they're going
1: you you box that's the box, and everybody knows that you know that before you're hired that every year it's it's, you
0: must save all kinds of time
1: in a year it does but so that's the downside i can't negotiate and when i recruit i can't negotiate so i find a high performer from another organization i can tell them what the box is but i can't say oh if you come here i'll I'll do this and this for you. I mean, there's some flexibility. I can do some things for people that don't have to do with financial compensation. Yeah, I love that you're and- very
0: aware. I love that you're aware that what it is that makes the system work and what it is that because you, you can't have a perfect system. You just can't. Oh. So, and I think being consistent across the organization is just a key. There might yep. be another, an opportunity, another time to, to talk more in depth about compensation and performance and so forth. But uh, I, I really... I'm very intrigued, and I do think that there is a place for the hierarchy, particularly when you're trying to run uh, an operation the size of yours. It makes sense. I, I wanted to know if there was anything about the local government model that you think. It's important to preserve and something that you think in general about local government that needs to progress going forward.
1: I think the first thing I started off by saying that I'm proud to be a credential manager from ICMA. I think the International City County Management Association is an excellent organization. I would definitely recommend people get who are in get credentialed, get involved in the organization. It's terrific for professional development, it's great for networking. It's not inexpensive, but I, I very much believe in, in ICMA. And one of the things that makes ICMA unique that will be with me no matter where I go is the commitment to the code of ethics. I think having a code of ethics sets us apart from other uh, industries. And I think having a commitment to the ICMA code of ethics is extremely important. That code of ethics includes, for example, that I be nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. I think that my, non, my commitment to nonpartisanship is incredibly important. I am apolitical. You could imagine how pulled and strained I am, both in terms of working in government, working with elected officials, and also in the society we live in now. It is so difficult to be committed to apoliticalism. However, it has served me so well in my career that I would definitely recommend that as well as all the other and that is part of the code of ethics but there are other things in the code of ethics about fairness and equity about commitment to the profession and a commitment to the communities that we serve i would definitely recommend the the IC, you look up the icma code of ethics
0: yeah oh,
1: um, challenge yourself to to commit to that code and that would go with me no matter where i go or what town I work for will be that, and I think that's something very special, and it will separate us from other professions and other people in government. I think it is sad when I see, for example, corruption in local government. I think it is horrible, and I think the antidote to corruption in local government is professional, nonpartisan management and a commitment to the code of ethics. If you have a manager who does something wrong, the manager will be dismissed immediately. And I am not involved in elections and I would never be involved in the raising of funds for elections. And you and I both know that's the number one place that elected officials find themselves getting in trouble is uh, fundraising. And that is part of politics and that is not part of managing a municipality. And the the code has saved me and will continue to save me. And I feel very strongly about
0: that. Yeah, I thought that's, I think that's just a great story. I have stayed out of Politics as well as a consultant. I know when I started out my practice, I worked for a firm that had some political behind-the-scenes maneuvering, and I know I can't do that. It's not the way I can't operate that way. You, first of all, it just it affects the quality of work. It's just not the work isn't as good. But anyway, that's I think such an important piece for all of anyone working at that professional, you know, management level.
1: And then let me add the answer to the second part of your question which is what needs to change in local government. And I think that I think that inclusion needs to change in local government. I think that it has become apparent that we are not, as a profession, we are not diverse enough. I think that we have, I know that my organization has spoken loudly about trying to help female professionals rise, and I don't think that we've done a good enough job with gender equity In both in terms of opportunity and pay in local government management. And I think it's absolutely clear that local government has not done a good enough job getting people of color involved in the profession. And I think we need to make a commitment, all of us, and I'm not sure exactly how that works, except for I'm committed. And I think we all need to be committed both to racial equity and to gender equity in the profession so that we have more people of different gender and more people of a different ethnicity, because the more diverse we are in terms of our profession, the more successful we will be at managing communities and working together. And I think that the time has long since come for local government management to recognize and commit itself to those changes. And if that means that I do my best to mentor and encourage people who are who can work for me to try to do that would be something I would do. And I would just challenge all of us to recognize that is not healthy and that is something that we need to be committed to improving in our profession.
0: Mm -hmm. So I think Jay. that's wonderful. You know, and there's just such a need to uh, fill the pipeline right now, just to think about if there was funding to send promising young professionals of diverse background into some that like a credentialing program or training that would yep. put them into that pipeline. Yep. I think that's a, it's doable, but it does take a lot of attention. It's such a key, you know, but I'm sure like you, I think many others have been thinking about just exactly how to go about doing it. It's, it's a tough nut to crack.
1: Sure. Uh, right now. But yes, I think the time has come. I don't think we can I don't think we can just pay lip service to it. I think as a profession and, and together, we need to be committed to doing those things to make this better for the next generation. Yeah. To, to raise them up.
0: Jeffrey, in closing, I guess I, I I want to ask you if there's a project in particular you want to mention that you're really excited about right now.
1: Project that I, you know what I'm really excited to because we're coming off of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I think what you really impressive is that my, as I said, I think my community weathered that storm remarkably well. And I think it's a testament to to the community itself. I think that Chambersburg was tested. We were tested in ways maybe that other communities weren't tested. And I think we rose to that test. Our town square, which is called Memorial Square in the center, is much more than the square in the borough of Chambersburg. It's the regional square that when everybody thinks about the center of Franklin County or even beyond Franklin County, they think about Chambersburg Memorial Square. We had 21 days of protest, straight protest in Memorial Square in, in the summer of 2020. And you know what? I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that my police department was able to uh, facilitate those protests. It was done safely with no trouble. We had protests on multiple sides of multiple issues, but we were able to provide the town square, which is I think an important part of public discourse and our ability to deal with that. At the same time, we were dealing with local food programs. We were very involved with the distribution of food to people, especially to children in our community. We were working with small businesses so that they can keep their lights on during the pandemic, even though they maybe they had no business. We were working in ways which were really dynamic. And I think it showed because we ended 2020 with the economy, the local economy in Chambersburg, much better place than we were concerned about it ending. And we've seen 2021 become very good in terms of growth and We're optimistic and bullish on the future here in Chambersburg. But I don't think that would have happened unless we had the kind of community that was resilient enough that when challenged, and it's like a once in a lifetime challenge. You have the pandemic, you have the social justice movement, you have it all hitting at the same time. But you know what? I think we did a good job. I don't not that we were perfect, not that we didn't have missteps, but I think we did a good job, and I'm really proud of Chambersburg and the way we weathered that storm. And I think that sets us up for the future. That we're in a good place. Yeah, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question. word, not just yeah,
0: that's a good word. And if I can ask you, have you been watching, listening, or reading anything that is binge worthy lately?
1: I'm trying to think the last thing that I read uh, or listened to. The answer must be no, because I don't, I, I love to listen to uh, podcasts and I just can't seem to find the time to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think a
0: lot of people are feeling that. You want to read and you want to, but it's hard
1: to. If, if I'm lucky, if I, if I read one non, and I'm a nonfiction person. If I read one good nonfiction book per year, and I try to read something about, about a city or city government. I can't remember. it. I read a book, and I just remember the title of it, about the the aftermath of the San Francisco earthquake. Oh, wow. And with The fire that followed. And it was told from the point of view of the municipal employees in the oh, city. Oh, that's
0: interesting. It was
1: fascinating because I'm never going to be there, but I was so fascinated. It told down to the Indian, you know, what did the fire chief do? What did the assistant fire oh, chief do? The mayor's staff, I thought it was terrific. I will definitely get you the name of that book. Okay. It's something that will stay with me forever. This, this could be a resource list for our municipal manager you know,
0: resource list.
1: Yeah. Because it was a, here's, a, here's a city, like a city that was challenged. We we're never going to get challenged. But to see how they reacted and they did good things and they did some bad things. To hear about that, I think, was a great story and had good lessons in it from municipal government. And those are the kind of books I like to read. Yeah, so I'll get that's to the cool. Next to
0: well, thank you so much, Jeffrey. I I just uh, enjoyed our time thoroughly. And I think you've been so gracious. I know you're really a busy guy. So I I just it was good talking to you. And I want you to hold on just a second while I st- hit the stop button. i